William James, who uh, headed up uh, Team Humanity, and their quote is, if God had a team, it would be Team Humanity. And I absolutely believe in that uh, that tagline because we are children of God, uh, regardless of your religious affiliation, uh, the big spirit in the sky, as the Indians uh, once said, we're all part of one big community. And if we don't, if we do not help each other to get through this, we will never be prosperous enough to move to the next level, to make our country uh, what it was supposed to be, to make our world what it was supposed to be. Listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast Network has led the podcasting space for the pharmacy industry. This network of pharmacists and pharmacy technicians leads the podcasting charts with more than 2 million downloads, 40 different stations, and new episodes every week. The Pharmacy Podcast Network is the number one podcast for the pharmacy professional. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, and all your favorite podcast players. Join the Pharmacy Podcast Nation today. Hey, today's episode is brought to you by 100 times 2030. 100 times 2030 is an initiative that inspires inclusive leadership in healthcare with a specific focus on moving the needle by sponsoring 100 women of color within the next decade. Pharmacy Podcast Nation, welcome back to Transforming a Nation. This podcast series is pivotal. It's important that we all get involved and what we've deemed as a mission for every healthcare provider that's listening to this podcast. Chapter one was called Facing Racism. I was really pleased and excited to kick off that series with Jamie Tynan and Dr. William Amarque. And, um, and, and William's a PharmD and a health system pharmacist you know, health system pharmacist and Jamie Tynan is a is a champion. She's launched a really interesting program called 100 by 2030. She'll be helping uh, 100 women of color by 2030 reach leadership roles in healthcare. And we kind of dug into racism and discrimination in healthcare providers and patients together. Racism, racism in care that leads to health disparities. Uh, doctors and other experts have agreed that they need to push for change. Pharmacists see their patients 10 times more than primary care. That is an opportunity to uh, help to transform a nation one patient at a time. And they can tell by the way that you look at them, the way that you interact with them, um, what you say, how you say it, any answering any questions, and how does their health get impacted by what our nation goes through and what our regions go through. And if someone is, um, is murdered for no reason other than um, the color of their skin and even possibly um, something that goes awry with a police officer or a bad judge or um, someone that's in community leadership that, uh, that has a chip on their shoulder. I'm tired of it and um, I'm committed to use the platform of 75,000, 80,000 listeners, the Pharmacy Podcast Nation to help change it. And I'm excited to introduce Dr. Jamie Hardy, 
Dr. Stephanie Moss and Dr. Frank North to our next episode, Chapter 2 of Transforming a Nation on the Pharmacy Podcast. Welcome, Jamie. How are you? I am great. I'm so excited to be here, and I just want to say thanks for this opportunity. You're absolutely uh, welcome. Welcome back, uh, Stephanie. How are you today? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be back. I cannot wait to talk to these great group of pharmacists that you have. Yes. And welcome, Frank, uh, to the Pharmacy Podcast. How are you? I'm well. I'm excited, just like Dr. Jamie, for being here. Thank you for the opportunity. You're absolutely welcome, and I am honored about this. It's a it's an opportunity, and there's a saying from the Superman movie, when you have great power, there is great responsibility that comes with that. Our podcast has uh, really reached some amazing uh, levels of, of listeners and being shared through networks. So I uh, had to do this and had to collect the voices of pharmacists out there who believe in the transformation of our of our nation, and I want to start with um, with Stephanie. You you really shared some interesting points and in some of the notes that you've given us to to kind of work from. But before that, just in case you didn't listen, and I'm going to put it in the show notes, um, you you were part of a, a Juneteenth episode that we did that received a tremendous amount of attention, uh, got retweeted, got shared on Facebook through Instagram. Um, it was a pleasure to, to really dig into the beginnings of what we're talking about today. But you had some statistics that you were going to share. And before we get into that, just in case listeners didn't listen to that first episode, give us a, a background of your, of your pharmacy career. Well, first, I am a wife and a mom of two, but I'm a Southern girl that lives in the Midwest, and I've been here for several decades now. But my experience as a pharmacist, it ranges from community pharmacy, managed care, and I'm currently in health economic and outcomes research. But I have a passion for reducing health disparities, and mainly through health and wellness, and by the things that we do, the activity that we partake in, and also what we eat as well. I think that's very important for us to uh, highlight as well. But uh, I am also the founder of DrStephanieYomo.com, where I have simple health and wellness tips and then also some uh, information for healthcare um, and wellness professionals when they are trying to increase their presence on social media. But last time that I was on the show, I had a great discussion with you about health disparities and discussing some of the things that and some of the statistics that we may not know. Um, some of those statistics were um, racial disparities actually cost $35 billion in excess of expenditures each year. So that's a very large number that we may not think about. And also African-Americans are 10 times more likely to have an amputation than other races. Uh, so when they're going to the doctor, what's causing this information, what is causing this? And then we're also 5.2 more times likely to die during pregnancy or childbirth. And this is actually adjusted for uh, your, uh, your education as well. So it doesn't matter if you went to college, or if you didn't go to college, African-Americans are dying more when they're having uh, childbirth. Yeah. And we're also 40% uh, more likely to, um, less likely to receive pain medication. And Dr. Jamie and I have spoken about this before. Uh, what is that reason? Why are they, uh, are African-Americans being judged when they're coming to receive pain medication? Why, why are those reasons for that uh, happening? And we're also 50% more likely to die from breast cancer as well. So with all these healthcare disparities, we know that there are a lot of different things that play into that. And I'm sure that we're going to get to a lot of those today, but that's just some of the recap of kind of what we talked about last time as well. 
Stephanie, before we um, move on to um, to Jamie, uh, which you're up next, Jamie, can't wait to dig into your lifestyles, pharmacist background. But Stephanie, you also are helping uh, pharmacists leverage social media in a recent um, program that you've kicked off. And I watch your Instagrams constantly. Can you give us just a slight background on that too? Yeah, so currently I am um, doing a series with Pharmacy Times where I am uh, speaking about social media and how pharmacists can be more active on social media, what they can do to get their voice out there, to uplift their platform, uh, or even just the platform of pharmacy, ways that they can advocate for themselves. Because a lot of times um, as pharmacists, we um, may not if we're on social media, it may be personal, but there's also a time for us to share exactly what we love as well. So I do that every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Uh, on the Pharmacy Times social media page. But if you uh, follow me, you'll be able to see uh, when I'm going to go live and answer your questions. So I just think it's very important for us to lift up the types of things we want to advocate for. So mine would be health disparities, um, but it's important for us to be able to do that on social media and get our voice out there like other professions have done. Dr. Jamie Hardy, I'm so excited to have you here. I've been a fan of you for quite some time. I follow you on Instagram. You are known as the lifestyle pharmacist and you're a wellness and health lifestyle coach. You can find um, all of the information about Dr. Jamie Hardy at drjamiehardy.com. Welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast. I can't wait to, to hear from you and your ideas, but give us some background on yourself uh, becoming a pharmacist and your career in pharmacy. Absolutely. So before becoming known as the lifestyle pharmacist, I was just, you know, a little black girl from Memphis, Tennessee. And I come from a family of educators. And it's so funny that I chose pharmacy as my career path and not education like my mom, my aunt, my cousins. Um, but education still plays such a big role in what I do as a pharmacist. So I like to say that I still am an educator by default. Um, but in terms of my pharmacy education, education and training. I got my doctor of pharmacy degree from Xavier University of Louisiana College of Pharmacy. And then after that, I went on to receive a master of science in pharmacy leadership at the University of Florida College of Pharmacy. Um, because at that time, my interest was to become um, a healthcare leader, especially in a hospital setting. Um, right after graduation, however, I did a PGY1 residency at LSU Health Science Center in New Orleans. I was so just in love and you know enamored in the culture and the, the food and just the experience in New Orleans that I decided to stay around another year after I finished pharmacy school to do my residency. Um, and I've had some experience with ASHP. I'm a graduate of the Pharmacy Leadership Academy. Um, what else? I love to learn, as you can see, the, the list kind of goes on and on. I have a real passion and interest in clinical nutrition and just the role that food food plays in our health. You know, food really is medicine. And so I even received a certification from Cornell University with an emphasis on nutrition and healthy lifestyle. So that's like all of my education um, that kind of allowed me to leverage my skills, my passions, my knowledge into my brand as the lifestyle pharmacist. So as the lifestyle pharmacist, you know, I do speaking engagements. I'm a best-selling author. I've been featured, you know, in the media multiple times. But more important than any of that stuff, what I'm most proud about is being a wife and a big sister and, and a daughter and just really being on this mission to help other women who are busy juggling normal things like businesses, relationships, careers, and just helping women 
women to really design the life of their dreams and their health is at the center of that. So teaching things like eating healthier, how to manage stress more effectively and how to exercise regularly are the things that I hang my hat on in my brand. And so just providing actionable tools and strategies I'm helping women to be fit, fabulous, and fulfilled without those prescribed pills. So that's just a little synopsis of my journey and who I am and what I do even beyond the walls of the pharmacy. I learned about you, Jamie, from a common friend in the industry that we have, uh, Jerrica Dodd, Dr. Dodd. Yeah. Love her. So she's going to be working with the Pharmacy Podcast Network more, and we're excited about that. But I tell you what, pharmacy is a small little circle that if you stay in it long enough, you'll really be able to cross paths with some really interesting providers out there that are dedicated to the industry and the craft. So thank you for that. Thank Um, you. Dr. Frank North, I tell you what, Frank North and Associates, you are at Dr. Frank RPH on Instagram. I follow you. I enjoy your post and you make me laugh. So I'm always looking to have some laughter in my day, but the balance between pharmacy and your life, give us some background in your pharmacy career. Sure. So I'm a native Houstonian. Um, my grandfather purchased his home. My grandfather's father purchased the home that we still have uh, a couple of years uh, out of slavery uh, in Houston, right next to the bayou. And I am a graduate of Houston's first black high school, Booker T. Washington High School. And we also have a school within the school, the high school for the engineering professions, which I was not a student in, but it was so important because I was able to really connect with um, with students and uh, friends that were my parents, uh, classmates, children, and grandchildren. And so it really made me who I was today. And so we are family. And so I start there because I think it's so important to start at the pipeline route. And so I find myself uh, you know, advocating for students from that community that comes from the same, from similar communities that I come from. And my siblings and my parents and I at this black high school in Houston, all were students under the same principal who was the principal for over 50 years at the high school. So it's very, very near and dear to me. And it's who and why I present the way that I present. I then matriculated to Texas Southern University where I obtained three degrees, biology, a doctor of pharmacy degree and a master's of public administration. While I was working on my pharmacy degree, it's when I had to uh, pivot and get that undergraduate degree. But I also took some time off to do a fellowship in entrepreneurship, specifically emphasizing technology transfer, which we can get into uh, hopefully within the podcast. But I completed that at California State University, San Bernardino. Uh, I worked after graduating from pharmacy school for about five years. And then I decided and determined to uh, obtain the master's of public administration after participating in a Houston Black Leadership Institute program uh, here in Houston, it really drive me to be more focused on uh, policy and the way in which the systems and systematic infrastructure really affect uh, all people, regardless whether it's healthcare, education, which are all passions of mine. Um, while doing was, uh, I don't know if I was blessed or cursed with the opportunity to serve as an advisor 
for uh, my fraternity, the Omega Psi Phi Fraternity Incorporated and my birth chapter. Uh, and so really kind of engaging with young undergrads and seeing, you know, firsthand them going through trials and tribulations that, you know, I remember me and my line brothers going through in our various stages really encouraged me to do what I'm doing now, which I really don't talk about. And you probably don't see much uh, on my social media, but I am uh, pursuing and currently all the dissertation for a PhD in urban higher education from Jackson State University in Jackson, Mississippi. And so it's a program that I completely adore and I'm grateful for everything that I've learned in creating a space for urban education and specifically higher education. So across our community colleges and our college systems. Uh, I started Frank Northern Associates in 2014, really because most of my friends told me that they saw me doing consulting and that I should do it. Uh, I chose the name Frank Northern Associates because during that time, Scandal was a hot show, and when I would talk to my friends about it, they would always joke, like, let me find out you, Frank Northern Associates, like Olivia Pope and Associates, you out here trying to fix things in healthcare. So it just kind of stuck. Um, and then uh, I was connected with Dr. Tisha Rowe, who is the founder of the Rodocs. And so I am an outreach lead for that telemedicine company, which is really owned and operated by minority women physicians, uh, and particularly black women physicians. So although it's not completely a black operation, it is highly comprised of, of women in medicine. And so I am really, really appreciative to be a part of that leadership team to drive access to healthcare for our, our various communities. Uh, like a pivot again, I am an adjunct professor of government at the community college here in Houston uh, because I feel like civil, civic engagement and voting and elections are important and learning and understanding that process in a fun way is something that I have the opportunity to, 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 to give students. Um, and so I have enjoyed that over the past year, year and a half. Um, as far as my service to the profession, uh, I do a lot of alumni work with uh, the Texas Southern University College of Pharmacy and Health Sciences alumni chapter. I was the president of the chapter for some time. And now I am in like an interim treasurer role, uh, kind of helping the new leadership, different things of that nature. Uh, I am a director for the Texas Pharmacy Association. Uh, I'm currently the national legislative chair for the National Pharmaceutical Association, where I served in APHA's uh, delegation at their House of Delegates uh, for the past three years. Uh, I have recently been elected, but I have not taken the office of president-elect for the National Pharmaceutical Association as of yet. And with that particular achievement, uh, I was appointed and allowed access on the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists Task Force for Racial Equity and Cultural and Cross-Cultural Education. So I'm, I'm really able to get a, uh, a bandwidth of different organizations and be at the seat, uh, be at the table, have a seat at the table when it comes to uh, diversity, inclusion, and what that looks like. And lastly, I always, mention my life memberships. So I'm a life member of the National Pharmaceutical Association, Phi Delta Chi Pharmaceutical Fraternity, and the great Omega Psi Phi Fraternity Incorporated. You know, the reason why you can't grow grass under your feet, uh, Frank, is because you're moving around so much and you're doing so many things. So you're going to have to stand still for at least 30 seconds in order to get the grass grown. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's right. I always, my grandfather always said that to me because I was hyperactive. I still am, but that's absolutely amazing what you're doing, not only from a professional perspective and as an entrepreneur, but what you're giving back 
to the youth that I see on Instagram all the time of what you're posting. And you're also uh, able to exercise once in a while because I see you're a runner. So that's something I need to uh, need to pick up from you and, and continue to do because I have, uh, I'm the most inconsistent exerciser that I know. So I'm either on it or I'm not on it. And I'm, uh, so well, we should sure help each other with that because that's my life as well. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, um, I'm excited. So I, I want to dig into race disparity and what that means. And the fact that there's many listeners right now that don't understand what that means, nor do they understand the impact it has on them. And the, the reason it has an impact on them is we all pay taxes. We all have to, in the, in the space of pharmacy, care for patients that are chronic. We understand that if we allow uh, diabetes or hypertension or some medication to fall off a regimen or a therapy that's been prescribed, that they're going to be pushed back into the emergency room of the hospital system, which creates uh, $300 billion a year in, uh, in costs. And what you were saying, uh, Dr. Stephanie, about the disparities um, is a domino effect of issues that continue to compile. So we have to start with this awareness. So health and racial disparities and how they can relate to a pharmacy world specifically, I'm going to start with you, Stephanie, just to give our listeners basically a know-how of number one, what does it mean uh, to, to, to have a health disparity um, specifically in a community or based on race? And what can a pharmacist do about this? What block and tackle steps can they take uh, to try to disintegrate that? Well, um, Todd, for as far as what a health, care, health disparity is, is a preventable difference in the burden of disease or being able to achieve optimal health in populations that are socially disadvantaged. Now, this disadvantage can be either race, uh, ethnicity, gender, et cetera. But this all ties back to inequitable distribution of resources and how those resources are given to, for instance, neighborhoods, uh, mentor programs, uh, all those different types of uh, elements. So for instance, when it comes to social determinants of health, you hear that term used a lot. That affects the economy, um, that uh, the neighborhood that you live in, your health, your access to health care, uh, your community, your education, all of those things will determine uh, the, your disparities. So that's why I really like to hear that the pharmacists that we have here today, that they're not only working in pharmacy, but they're also trying to give back. Because I think that's one really important way that pharmacists can try to reduce uh, either healthcare disparities or even racial disparities is by giving back is by starting with either uh, younger generations or even in our own neighborhoods with uh, people who are older, who elder, excuse me, with the elderly as well, because we have to be able to give back and pour into those neighborhoods as well and make sure that they are receiving uh, what they need to be able to come out of those healthcare disparities. Dr. Jamie, when you're working with patients and you notice that they're not following up on a prescription or they're they're suffering with something that is ongoing and they're a person of color are you giving any additional advice to their health um, that that would play back into how to receive care how to um, have some type of insurance program that might be part of either the community or the state how are we bolting on the infrastructure at the administrative level to overcome uh, healthcare disparities that's such a great question when i'm working with 
individuals, whether they're patients in the hospital that I'm working with, you know, counseling them about their medications, going through their medication history, educating them prior to discharge, or if it's someone that I'm engaging with in the community at a community health fair or at, you know, a wellness event, it's always important to listen to understand their experience. Oftentimes, individuals of color get labeled. We are stereotyped. We're, you know, misbranded as being difficult, as being non-compliant, as being unwilling to, you know, participate in the, the care plan. And as pharmacists, I believe that we have a responsibility and a duty to dig a little deeper. It's so much more than did you take your medication or have you picked up your refill? There's a story. There's a reason why. Um, in every person's life. And we need to really hone in and tap in and dig down into these um, social determinants of health, things that are happening in people's lives. And, you know, asking those tough questions, well, can you afford your medication? Or are you having to stretch your meds because of financial constraints? Are you having to determine if food is going to be the priority this week versus getting your prescription? Like these are real life issues and we cannot continue to practice pharmacy or healthcare in a vacuum or in a silo and mislabel huge segments of the population and not really try to educate them on how to be an advocate for themselves, how to utilize resources that are available in the community and available even in the corporate space and just helping them to navigate life and how their health impacts their overall, their life. Um, it's so frustrating. I practice and live in Memphis, Tennessee, and we are truly an example of that stark reality of a tale of two cities, the haves and the have-nots, the access to, you know, safe housing and fresh food and educational opportunities and great schools and green space, all of these things that are important to the overall health and vitality of an individual, a family unit, and ultimately a community. And until we start to tackle some of these tough topics and these tough issues, segments of our community are never going to be healthy. People are going to continue to stay sick and die earlier. And a lot of these things are preventable. And as healthcare providers, we all have a responsibility and a duty to sound the alarm, to push the envelope and ask these tough questions and be the drivers and catalysts and those that are demanding change. Our patients can't do it alone. This is so much bigger than them. A lot of them feel helpless. They've lost hope. They feel that the system is stacked against them, and it is. And it takes people to be courageous to really have these conversations and ask the tough questions and take this thing to the next level in terms of accountability and change. So when I think of a health system, uh, Jamie, I think of uh, big hospital infrastructure behind the scenes, the administration behind the scenes. I also think of the uh, political factor inside the organization. Uh, organizations that are filled with people who are driven, who may even be entrepreneurial, who want the opportunity to excel in their careers. And with that comes um, comes nastiness. Uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's a nefariousness to the side of, of being driven. And sometimes you step over people or sometimes you take credit for someone else's ideas or sometimes you'll deep six a program that uh, that 
that wasn't your idea because of your uh, because of those people who are driven by success so much so that they forget uh, the oath that they took as a healthcare provider. And when I'm listening to you and you're part of a health system, what uh, what racism has come up in the world of administration? And you don't, of course, don't have to call people out, but just some examples of of how these instances have impacted uh, your effectiveness as a pharmacist within that health system? Oh, absolutely. Well, first and foremost, the pharmacy workforce being diverse and representative of the community that we serve is paramount. And that is not the case. Um, far too often, when you really take a step back and look at these healthcare organizations, there is a lack of diversity. And pharmacy especially there's a great opportunity for us to make some changes and make the population of pharmacists providing the care mirror or at least look a little more in alignment with the communities that we took this oath to serve. Um, so really being willing and unafraid because it is scary to challenge some of these norms in these organizations when you are looking at the new hires that are being brought on board and everyone starts to look the same or there is a common connection that has been the bridge between the interview and the onboarding into the team this this is real this is real life reality and calling it out you know, and not being nasty or confrontational, you know, turning over the table in a department meeting, but really pushing the fact that there is something happening here. We are not giving opportunities to pharmacists of color um, to matriculate into leadership in, in organizations and even at the facility level. And I can think of it even in terms of the enrollment in pharmacy schools. Just just think about the way that the pharmacy classes look. It, it should be a sea of colors. And even the students that are being admitted into pharmacy programs are not reflective of, of the world that we live in. So there's just this uh, a missed opportunity and something has to change. Something has to happen in the way that we make students aware of the profession of pharmacy or the the opportunities in healthcare at all for you know students that are black or brown and once you know we really commit to involving all types of students into this educational journey following it through in the matriculation even postgraduate opportunities the residency classes are we being inclusive even in the numbers of minorities that are given these coveted residency slots because it's gotten very competitive there are more people with interest in pursuing a residency than there are facilities that can even accommodate the students that are interested. And when there are zero students, um, zero residents of color in a, in a residency class, they may have eight, 10 or 12 slots. Someone needs to be asking some questions. And, you know, it's not to be divisive. It's not to um, really try to stack the cards, you know, in favor of one group or another. It's really 
developing and building and crafting a profession that looks like the community so that that trust is there. There's data that supports the fact that when you have a diverse healthcare force, the outcomes improve. And we talk about these disparities that exist in African-American communities, especially. And even when you look at Latino communities, there is data that supports when the provider looks like the patient and understands the nuances and the intricacies and the very unique parts of that culture, that experience, then the outcomes improve. So there's this huge opportunity for us to have these conversations at work with our leadership, with our professional organizations, um, local government, national government. These conversations need to happen. We cannot continue to turn a blind eye and just be thankful that, you know, I'm one of the few African-American pharmacists. No, there needs to be more. And I personally feel that it's my responsibility to engage in productive conversations to help make some changes. Thank you for that. I have a follow-up question. It's uh, for Dr. North. Um, Frank, you have so many roles that you're playing and lots of those roles that you're involved in are leadership roles. You're not only touching future generations and directing future generations, but you're involved in some major national associations, such as the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists, who actually podcasts through the Pharmacy Podcast Network through Senior Rx Radio. We're so proud to have them as part of our network. Network. When I think of your reach in multitudes of different leadership roles, I think of something that uh, Dr. Hardy just said about our Latino communities. With 258,000 Hispanics in South Carolina, who's translating the governor's orders in Spanish about COVID-19, about coronavirus, about what's happening in their state. There was just a report that was put out um, within the last three days by the Journal of American Medical, the Journal of American Medical Association about the lack of information specifically in Spanish for Hispanic speaking um, populations, Latino populations, uh, medical professionals and those in the Hispanic and Latino communities, along with um, many other uh, minority groups, are not getting the information um, given to them in the way that they're needing it. Um, and in myself, I'm not a fluent speaker of Spanish. I know a couple words and that's it. But when you're a pharmacist and you're a leader and you're looking at, uh, at a report that just came out like that, what could you do as a pharmacist in the space that you provide and the leadership that you provide, not only to um, future pharmacists, but also to your collaborat collaborating healthcare providers? Sure. So I think that's an excellent question. And I appreciate Dr. Hardy's for that conversation because it's so needed and relevant. And, you know, in my space and particularly in my role with leveraging the organizations that I represent, you know, I one, you know, preface that a lot of the conversation and a lot of my opinions are, are, are those of my own. But with this particular question, you know, I look to the good work that we do at the National Pharmaceutical Association within our House of Delegates with our student National Pharmaceutical Association. And so in, in 2018, the SNAFA House of Delegates actually um, proposed a resolution uh, that was specifically for that. And so uh, I'll read it. And so they kind of prefaced the background, which was what you prefaced. And so uh, they resolved that SNAFA and National Pharmaceutical Association supports the collaboration between pharmacists, student pharmacists, and translational personnel to take 
full advantage of pharmacy translating services to aid in patient counseling sessions and help reduce health disparities due to language barriers often faced by non-Spanish speaking patient populations. And so, you know, I like that particular position statement from our organization because it really expands even outside of our uh, Latino communities, you know, and I remember as a technician particularly, but even as a pharmacist, when Vietnamese speaking patients would come, right? And then you don't know how to even begin to translate because I think most of us have some idea of at least how to get a Spanish speaking person out of, out of the window safely, right? But what if that person doesn't even understand that, that broken English? And so I think it's about doing the work that Dr. Hardy just talked about, right? Being intentional in your uh, pharmacy school enrollment and reaching parity there, because then there's a colleague that you can pick up the phone at, an, at a neighboring pharmacy or someone that's not even doing the same type of work that you're doing, but you can rely on them to provide that HIPAA compliant information, right? Or at least get them to, you know, have a have a, a agent, a patient agent who is uh, bilingual to call, so you can provide that information for them. And so I think it's particularly providing uh, a critical mass, right, of people who will be able to serve as advocates, but they're also identifying those translational services that are out there that may be able to fill in the gaps. I wanted to touch on something that Dr. Jamie just said about. Um, race and social concordance, which is something in the health disparities um, realm that we talk about, where if you have something in common with your patient as a healthcare provider, which is what the concordance is, that your visits are longer, the patients are more, the tone is more positive, um, you may have a more positive effect on communication and also perception. So what Dr. Jamie was saying about you need to make the healthcare profession look more like the neighborhoods that you serve, that's why that's so important. Now, even if you aren't, even if you can't do that, at least have someone who is either uh, an ally or that understands or have some type of training for your organization to help people be able to understand where they're working. You just can't put a pharmacist somewhere and they're out of touch with the community that they're serving. Um, because I'm going to be honest, I went to a historically black college um, and university, which is Xavier University, and I was really shocked when I started looking up statistics that 70% of pharmacists aren't black, like my, like my uh, people here that I went to school with. But when I start looking it up, you see that pharmacy, yes, why it's majority female, you know, women, we do have um, only, there are 66% are um, white, 22% Asian, and 5.2% are black. So I was very astonished when I saw the low number of people of color that we have represented in pharmacy. So some of the ways would be reaching back and making sure that we are either uh, partnering with HBCUs to recruit people, um, going back to uh, even high schools and partnering with high schools and being mentors to help increase those numbers as well. Yeah, and I, and, and I actually want to touch on that as well, because when we talk about disparities in representation, I think it's important to also know like what the definitions mean mm -hmm. and even doubling down on those on, on those statistics. Right. So when we look at, you know, there's a, a, a huge uh, conversation a couple of months ago that I saw and actually our current national president, Dr. Lakeisha Butler, weighed in on the difference between um, minorities and underrepresented minorities, right? And mm -hmm. so it, it, it's important for us to really, you know, peel the layers on the onion when we look at that, because I think it's so awesome that Dr. Um, Stephanie talked about 
you know, uh, the 5% blacks, right? But even when you when you drill down into that, right? If you look at that's a, that, that statistic is according to the United States Census, right? And the United States Census, you're black or African-American, even if you have ties to uh, to Africa, right? And the African culture, right? And so those are different cultures even within the African-American community. And I would, you know, believe that there's, um, even more scarcity of African-Americans, right? And then even from my perspective as an African-American male, when you drill down to what does that look like, um, it's important because there are significantly more women that are graduating and being enrolled and finishing and becoming pharmacists. But what about the African-American male, traditional descendants of slaves that becomes a threat from enrollment or looked down upon from admissions uh, through the pipeline of becoming uh, becoming a pharmacist, and so uh, you know, just to kind of clarify the difference between you know minority and underrepresented minority is the Asian population, and so they are a, a minority in this country, but they are not underrepresented in pharmacy and other healthcare professions, right? So much to where AACP uh, put that in their in their definition of what underrepresented minority is. We need those type of uh, policies and recognitions when it comes to reaching that parity, because I think so many schools and particularly uh, HBCUs, they achieve a certain level of representation of black and African-Americans by simply admitting students that are, uh, you know, African-American, but their parents or grandparents are typically tied back to, um, to Africans. I know that that's a touchy subject, but I think it's so important when you talk about you know, understanding the culture of a patient that walks in that's from a certain community, right? Just right. So, so often, we, just because you look like someone doesn't necessarily mean that you understand their backgrounds. And so I remember as a technician being blown away because of a family that walked up and I thought they were black, but I think they were like Cuban and they didn't speak English, right? They spoke Spanish. And so it was so important for me to be able to pivot and get a Spanish speaking technician to come and help me with that, uh, with, with that conversation. Dr. North, that is really interesting because the language barrier is just another level of uh, healthcare disparities and, and it's one that is overlooked. Um, I, I know based on helping many combo shops, the combo community pharmacies who are doing long-term care as well and they'll describe that when they do their consults at the location at the nursing home um, sometimes they'll ask a nurse to be with them to ask questions of the patient especially in some of the southern country uh, southern states um, that uh, they have patients that do not speak english whatsoever and if you can't communicate with your patient or if the patient doesn't feel that you understand number one their language number two their culture uh, trust starts to disintegrate, and now healthcare goes right out the window, especially when it when it requires that patient to commit to a regimen, to commit to their adherence. That's really interesting, um, Jamie. More than 900 frontline medical workers have died of coronavirus, according to a new investigation by Guardian and Kaiser Health News, which is known as KHN. 
And they really dug down into this report, which was published by Forbes. And the investigation found that 922 healthcare workers across the United States have died, which I didn't realize. Um, every time I hear of someone dying from COVID-19, I'm assuming that they're in the older population, 60 plus, um, probably had respiratory issues ongoing or something was happening. These are healthy healthcare workers who have passed away. Of the 1,000 fatalities found um, through a multitude of different um, uh, sources, uh, a majority, 62% were identified as people of color and with about one third born outside the U.S. who were helping uh, to serve uh, different uh, territories and, and communities in the United States. Why? I, when I'm reading that, I'm, I'm like, I don't understand how that works. Is Are we overlooking the health of a, and it's mostly nurses, by the way, are we overlooking the black nurse who's standing there and there's triage and they're running around and there's someone flatlining and they don't have a face covering. They don't have gloves. They don't have the proper PPE. Like I don't understand how that's happening. And again, I said this to you before and, and forgive me, the three of you, now I'm starting to get edgy. I'm, I'm actually sitting on the edge of my seat, <laughs> starting to make me angry. Uh, why, why is that happening? Like what, what can you pull of that? You're in a health system. I'm not in a health system. I'm a, I'm a podcaster. I'm just a fan. But when you're in the healthcare system, are you seeing um, black nurses, black physicians, black pharmacists, um, Spanish-speaking uh, Latino pharmacists not wearing or not being given the proper protections? So, yes, I do practice in a health system. And I will say that the things that are happening are not consistent across the spectrum of just hospital pharmacy. Mm -hmm. um, I've been very fortunate in that the, the facility that I practice in, we have not experienced a scarcity or a lack of PPE. In fact, it's one of the metrics that is tracked daily and reported out to the entire um, associate body in a weekly email that's rolled up at the end of the week by our CEO. Um, but that's not the case everywhere. Again, I said I've been very fortunate. There are hospital systems, small community pharmacies, even you know nursing homes where the lack of PPE has been an ongoing issue. And the question keeps coming up, why, how in America can nurses, can respiratory therapists, can even the environmental services department not have the baseline, you know, required protective coverings just to do their job safely. And I have not seen a lot of, you know, good solid answers. This continues to be an issue. Early on, there was this thought that because we are providers and our role and we've been trained to take care of the patient at all costs, you know, and people were running into the rooms, you know, not really thinking about, oh, is this person COVID positive? Has a test been done? What are the results? Just going in, they're flatlining, you know, jump into action. Let's do the chest compressions. Let's get the epi and the atropine going. Let's get the tube down. And that, some of that has happened, yes. Um, and where it has been especially problematic is in these places, these pockets where the PPE has not been adequate. And to me, this is just something that ties back to 
the community makeup. There is policy, there is politics, there is funding even associated with the, the types of supplies and availabilities, the, the connections, the collaboration that some of these facilities have and what zip code is it in? What patient population is predominantly served? You know, what are the, what are the, the tax rates over here? So there's so much of a um, economic touch point when you think about like business and the business of healthcare and healthcare is a business. And some of these disparities that plague patients in these communities also impact the facilities that are in these communities or the lack thereof that are supposed to be there to provide care to patients. And, you know, seeing these statistics and just even hearing the numbers as you were going over them, Todd, you know, I was getting angry. I could kind of feel the hairs on my arm start to stand up because it is unacceptable. Um, it, it's frustrating, it's, it's heartbreaking to think about, you know, nurse colleagues who have, you know, lost someone because the the PPE wasn't there. I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous. It's just absolutely absurd and, and, and ridiculous. And even when we think about the testing and the disparities that have existed, you know, and been highlighted throughout COVID, you know, this is not by chance. This is not like the perfect storm of coincidences just kind of lining up. What we're seeing is completely predictable. Policies like redlining and the disinvestment in communities that have led to like racial segregation and that even impacts our hospitals that are in these communities. This has been a systematic chronic problem in America and we really must start engaging with communities early, providing language and culturally appropriate information and services, um, having a workforce and a labor pool of providers that look like the community. And just the bottom line is, it's time for us to stop doing all this talking and really putting our money behind these initiatives that we like to put on paper, our mission, vision, values for these organizations and corporations. It's time out for all the talking. It's time for action. We have to match our treatment and our care, our resources, our investment to the communities and the places where it is needed the greatest. And that even impacts frontline healthcare workers in these health systems. Yeah, and I would like to add a, a little bit up to that from a, a public policy civic engagement uh, piece uh, perspective. And so I think it's so important that we talk about perspective and we talk about allocation of money. And so we know every 10 years and we're within that year, there is a United States census. And so it is so important for everyone to uh, fill out their census, right? Because that is how money is allocated to certain areas. And so to Dr. Hardy's point, you have a lot of political agendas that use fear-mongering and scare tactics to, um, to, to persuade an individual, particularly um, non-citizens of, 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 of America. And so your Hispanic community that may be here um, illegally to not uh, participate in the census, right? And so although I don't I don't have all of the details of their legal right to participate, there is, right? And so there are organizations like the Urban League or um, lawyers, social justice um, 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 associations that are in particular, in particular communities that can provide information about, you know, keeping those individuals safe while they are appropriately being recorded because our healthcare system, our education system, our roads, um, 
the way our community looks in terms of trash being, you know, and, but you go to, 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 to other communities and minority communities and it's not. All of that is systematically uh, in, in place, right? So some communities have uh, companies and have partnerships with people who come and clean up those communities where others reinvest that money in different facets. So I really wanted to touch on, on that as well as, you know, being intentional about what's important. And I think, you know, I've had some experience in, in, in healthcare, in the hospital systems, you know, and we will focus on payroll and employees working rather than the safety of our employees is working. And I think that we should be, you know, intentional on calling out those factors. So we'll flex a schedule before we buy additional PPE, right? And so if we're flexing the schedule, then there, that means there should be more money or more resources to provide those uh, PPEs. So I want uh, to challenge our listeners by listening to the question I'm about to ask our guests and take action and understand more than a pharmacist. Just like we heard from uh, Dr. Jamie Hardy and Dr. Stephanie Moss and Dr. Uh, Frank North, they are pharmacists. They are sons and daughters, husbands and wives and sisters and brothers uh, to a community. So this is more than just your actions as a pharmacist. This is how your action trickles into the community that you're part of. Jamie Tynan, in wrapping up our episode one, challenged each of the listeners to get a book on uh, racial disparities, on racism, how it impacts uh, small, large state and national communities. I think that was a great um, advice. I'm going to start with uh, Stephanie. I would like you to challenge our listeners with a with a with a a statement to to create action um, and and understanding why you believe that is an important statement to make um, to to challenging our listeners right now. Well, as a pharmacist, I would like to challenge us to simply give back. Um, I know that we feel as though on our job that we're giving back by working in healthcare and working with certain populations, but you also need to give back when it comes to uh, working with organizations. So for the past 20 years, I've been on boards that work with healthcare disparities uh, that try to eliminate and reduce healthcare disparities and increase health equity. Um, so personally, I am on a mission to actually start my own as well. So I think that we need to try and find ways that we can give back uh, in areas that we want to advocate for, but in particular, um, for me, health disparities, but just try to find a way to give back in your community. Dr. Jamie Hardy, you're up. And mine is similar to what Dr. Stephanie said. Um, I think that we all need to challenge ourselves, our colleagues, and even our friends and family members to do something beyond the walls of our day jobs. We each have a responsibility to help move the needle in making this world a place where everyone can receive quality education, quality healthcare, live in a safe environment, and there is enough work to go around. We all can align ourselves with a group or an organization that has already started this work. And if you are passionate about something and you can't find a group to align yourself with, then start it yourself. We have to be the change. We cannot continue to sit around and wait for someone else to fix it 
for us. We have to be willing to roll up our sleeves, get our nails and our hands dirty, and do this hard work. Because until the little boy or little girl that lives in the hood has the same opportunity for nutritious food, for clean water, for clean air, for green space to ride their bike, then nothing is going to change. We have to be willing to reach back, do the hard work, and get allies to come alongside of us to help move the needle and make this world a place where living a healthy life is something that is attainable for everyone, regardless of the color of your skin, your family, if you came from money or not, where you live, this should be something that everyone has access to and can aspire to. So the challenge is to do something beyond the walls of your job, do something. Dr. Frank North, you are up and looking forward to, um, to what you are going to challenge our listeners with. Sure. So, Todd, you, you mentioned that you're not a pharmacist. You're just, um, you know, an advocate, right? And I think that that's so important. So most of my email from my personal email account ends with um, two quotes. And so I did a leadership training and they said, a person with no quotes at the end of their email never goes anywhere within five years, right? So I added two because I needed to go somewhere quick. Um, and so my challenge is basically what those quotes are. And, and one is from Dr. Martin Luther King that says, our lives begin to end the day we, are, we become silent about the things that matter. And I think that that's so important because there are people that may or may not be pharmacists that see things and are silent about them. So I challenge the listeners to speak up and to not be silent, use their microphone to, or their podcast or whatever their platform is to uh, really talk about and give light to the things that matter. And because I am so in love with my high school and um, in the regard for the namesake. My next quote is, the world cares very little about what a man or woman knows. It is what a man or woman is able to do that counts. And I think, Todd, you are showing that and you are challenging the listeners to do something, right? Uh, it, which is what Dr. Hardy said. You have to be able to do something. And in my space of advocacy, advocacy is about relationships, right? And we're doing the good work as pharmacists and other healthcare providers to constituents of policy makers, right? And so we have to have relationships with advocates that are going to say, this is why my pharmacist is important. This is what my pharmacist is able to do. You know, on part one of this podcast, the young uh, doctor talked about her mother and having a better relationship with her pharmacist than her physician. And that counts, but we need to track that and we need to uh, communicate that to our policymakers. So when we're fighting for things like provider status, our legislators know that this is important because their constituents are telling them that it's important. Our legislators in our industry, in our profession, our society, in our world, know that pharmacists are important because the Pharmacy Podcast Network is doing something to let them know. And so I challenge, like Dr. Jamie Hardy, to do something because the world cares more about that than what you know. 
Absolutely. Amen. I have been privileged to talk with all three of you. I thank you so much for being part of Transforming a Nation, which you are definitely doing in your own individual work and missions. If you're listening to this podcast, the very first thing that you can do is connect with Dr. Jamie Hardy, Dr. Stephanie Moss, and Dr. Frank North. Their contact information through social media will be in the show notes. I will have some additional references as well as the Forbes article that we were referencing so that everyone can use that. Please share this podcast. This podcast can can quickly uh, take off virally to other healthcare providers, a nurse friend that you work with, a physician that you work with in the community, um, an administrator that you work with at some hospital system that you're listening to this podcast right now, share this and let them know that you are committed enough to share information. You're not ashamed and you're not going to hide from this because if we hide from this, if we are eye rollers and we don't move forward, it will never change. I don't want my daughters, I have four daughters, I do not want them to have to deal with racism at the level that we're dealing with it now in this country. I, I know that 10% of our culture, 10% of our law enforcement, 10% of our doctors and our pharmacists are most likely racists. And you're not going to take that from their hearts. It's going to be the way that they're going to be fine. I'm going to let those people go. I'm going to push them to the side. There's too much to be done with the 90% of the people that are there that are part of our lives, who are families, friends, patients, clients, um, podcast listeners. I love pharmacists and what you're doing. I am so honored to be um, the supporter and the advocate for how pharmacists can impact our healthcare system. But like you've all shared with me today, it is not enough to talk. We must take action. I think of my own community of Brownsville, Pennsylvania, and there is a community leader, William James, who uh, headed up uh, Team Humanity, and their quote is, if God had a team, it would be Team Humanity. And I absolutely believe in that uh, that tagline because we are children of God, uh, regardless of your uh, religious affiliation, uh, the big spirit in the sky, as the Indians uh, once said, we're all part of one big community. And if we don't, if we do not help each other to get through this, we will never be prosperous enough to move to the next level, to make our country uh, what it was supposed to be, to make our world what it was supposed to be. And I believe that in all of my heart. And I believe pharmacists play a very pivotal, important role in your communities, in your health systems, in your uh, nursing homes. Uh, Dr. Jamie Hardy, Dr. Stephanie Moss, and Dr. Frank North, I thank you so much for being part of Transforming the Nation, our second episode. And um, I'm, I'm thankful to you uh, in, in your insights and what you've shared today. Thank you no, so much. Yeah, thank, thank you, you so much. And with that, we are wrapping up Transforming a Nation, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I ask all of you to reach out to our, uh, our great leaders, uh, suggest others for this series. We're going to continue to push this series on, until the wheels on the bus fall off. And they're not because I'm hyperactive. I'm going to keep them oiled up, keep them going. Uh, I challenge every pharmacist to do more. And as always, I thank you for listening to the Pharmacy Podcast. Pharmacy Podcast.